0: So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, "I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife." But his father and mother said to him, "Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines?" But Samson said to his father, "Get her for me." for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vengeance of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came to him, roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, And she was right in terms of life. After some days he returned to take it, And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had spread the honey from the targets of the lion. His father went down to the water, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young man used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to build with him, and Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast, to find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, "Put oh, your will, that we may hear it." And he said to them, "As a eater, something to eat; as a strong, and something sweet." And in three days they could not solve it. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You are only hate me. You do not love me. You have brought a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because he pressed her heart. Then she told the riddle to the people, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not bowed in my effort, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town, and took their spoil, and gave the garments to those who were told the world. In fact, anyway, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had his best man. After some uh, days, at the time of harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, and he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And the father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. And so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her he instead. And Samson said to him, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do their harm. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive woods. Then the Philistines said, Who oh, has done this? And they said, Samson, the son in law of the Timnah, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear that I will be avenged on you, and after that I will be And he struck and hit them aside with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the crest of the rock of Etan. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Ethan and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to find you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only blind you and give you his hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines and shouted to him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his hands, and his hands as they caught with fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found the fresh jawbone of, of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck one thousand men. And said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon his. With the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramah Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now, and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. And God split open and the hollow place they that Levi, and water came out from him. And when he drank, his spirit received that he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called Enahor. It is at their height in his day, and he judged Israel in the days of the chastisement of his life, years. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here," and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept all night. They kept fight all night, saying, so "Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him." And Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders them to the top of it? it's mm-hmm. uh, Well done for, A. Hinton. is a long passage. Um, and you can see there that uh, Samson has a relationship with a number of different women. Um, but now we're going to get into the final part of uh, this passage on saying. Joined us at uh, church at nine this morning, so I'm uh, going to call up uh, Samson and Delilah, and if you can put a microphone in there, that would be great. Uh, just be not confused with and Samson and uh, that, that's Delilah. After this, Samson loved a woman in the valley of sorrow, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, "Seduce him and see where his great strength lies." And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him, to humble him, and we will each give you one thousand one hundred pieces of silver. And so Delilah said to Samson. Please tell me where your strength lies and how you might be found and one might subdue you. Samson said to her, "If they bind me with seven fresh clothes so strings that have been not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any woman." Then the Lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, “The Philistines are upon you Samson. But he snapped the bowstring with a spread of black snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have be not been used, then I shall become weak and be like an And so Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, and Bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Thread. And and then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with web and fasten them tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. She made them tight with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin and the loom and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with You have mocked me three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was fixed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, I have been an ashrite to God from my mother's land. If my head is shaved, and my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak, like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." And he woke from his sleep and said, oh, God. I'm "Still a bit, I'm still a bit sleepy." I will go out of the house at other But he did not know that the Lord had left him, and the Philistines seized him, garrisoned out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with bronze shovels, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the Pharaoh's stake began grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Darwin, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, "Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand." And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, "Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us." And when their hearts were made merry, they said, "Call Samson that he may entertain us." So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man, he "Is holding by the hand." Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about three thousand men and women. who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me. I this once. I thought that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes." Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with your times. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And his brothers and all his family came down and took him. And, uh, there it's great to be with you and to witness such fine acting. Um, it's been a, a national training event for uni students with 2,000 others, which has been such a huge encouragement, but um, there's always something special about being in your own congregation. Sitting together around God's word, so let's pray that God would teach us this morning this word. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that what we learn from Samson today teaches us about ourselves and ultimately helps us to align more. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I love a good action movie, and there are no better action movies, in my opinion, than The Avengers. In The Avengers we meet Thor, the strongest of the Asgardians. In other words, he's basically a good-looking rich kid with long hair from outer space and wields an enchanted hammer. He's handsome, he's charming with the ladies, he's extremely powerful and violent, and always seems to come out on top. And this is a pretty good summary of Samson in Judges 13 to 16. The story of Samson is like a son of blockbuster with a hero, money, sex, wise, violence, and death. But here's the thing. Samson's really a tragedy. His strength ends up going to his head, and as the Bible says, pride comes before the fall. And the danger is that we can read Samson just like we would watch an Avengers movie, as light even humorous entertainment, and fail to see the important lessons it has for us. So we have an opportunity today to take a closer look at a familiar story, which God has actually written to teach us about ourselves and the kind of God that we need to save us. And you see, this is exactly what God intended for his first read the Israelites. In chapter 13, verse 1, we're told that, as usual, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord with a familiar result that God gives them over to their enemies, in this case, the Philistines. And the cycle of sin reminds me of what happens every night when I put my kids in the bath. I hear someone cry out from the oppression of their brother, that will remain nameless, And I have compassion and deliver them from this tyranny. And the next day, the cycle happens all over again. But did you notice there's a break in the cycle? Israel doesn't cry out to the Lord in repentance or for rescue from their oppressors. Why? Why don't they do this? Why do they groan and resist their captives? Because they've completely adopted and adapted to their values, their morals, their idols. Because the Philistines were now settled and living normal lives amongst Israel. That's how Samson later is able to find a foreign wife in Timraus, deep in Israel territory. They were rulers over Israel, yet their occupation seemed very peaceful. In 1973, Jan Eric Olsen held um, hostages captive for six days in one of Stockholm's meeting's largest banks. And when the hostages were released, strangely, instead of taking him to, um, to court, they began raising money for his defense. And in response, the media coined the phrase Stockholm Syndrome, where hostages develop a psychological alliance with their captors. Israel has practically allied, allied itself with their captors. It's philosophical. And we're that to exaggerate how big a danger this is for Israel. Within a couple of generations, they could have been completely assimilated into the Philistine nation. And as Israel's spiritual condition worsens, the seems seems to be set for a great judge, perhaps the greatest judge of all. And it's here that we're introduced to Samson. And I think the key to understanding why we're introduced to him is because Samson was raised up as a mirror of Israel. Samson was raised up as a mirror of Israel to teach Israel about themselves. And the first thing we learn about Samson is his marriage. We're introduced to Samson's parents in verse 2, uh, Mona and his barren wife, who is offered promised by an angel that she will miraculously give birth to a deliverer. In the verse 5, Jesus says to Samson's mother, The boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In other words, Samson enjoyed a frivolous relationship with God from his birth. He didn't earn it. It involved not cutting his head as Nazarite now, not getting drunk, and not touching the dead body. And verse 5 says, The reason was that he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. In other words, he was given a special mission from God. Like Samson, Israel was privileged. and of all the nations, God chose her and gave her a mission. Exodus 19 says, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation that others might come to know the Lord through them. What is your reason for getting up in the morning? Or well, in 2 Corinthians, to 5 verse 20, quarter-strapes Christians calling and mission, saying, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal to us. In other words, your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, or successful kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, amazing vacations, and fashionable clothes. To be an ambassador means you stand in the place of the king wherever you are. And this is a huge privilege. Back when England was expanding their empire, they asked ordinary people to drive Rolls Royce's around the streets in their colonies. And as people saw these beautiful symbols of England, they would think to themselves, I want to be a part of that in the same way, God has picked you to be an ambassador if you trust Jesus and your life and your words are to be used to point people to Jesus and his kingdom. But if I sit with you and listen to a recording of the last month of your words, would I conclude your words were spoken to serve yourself or Jesus' kingdom? So often, myself included, we get caught up in our own kingdom, and wanting others to notice, respect, admire us or meet our needs. And we don't really live like ambassadors. We would rather live like communities. And so we need to remember the privilege that it is of all people God would choose us to be his finances and mouth, his feet for a world that needs Jesus. So Samson is privileged by God from birth for a mission. The question is raised in our minds, Will he succeed? And sadly, so what we see is a man whose giftedness and strength is matched only by his foolishness. Samson is foolish. Women are the principal actors in every episode of Samson's story, and they reveal his great weakness. His first wife belongs to him. She's a Philistine, and on what basis does he choose her? Disregarding his parents' worldly wisdom and concern, he says in verse 3, she is right in my eyes. And what kind of wife seems right to be a Philistine wife and worship the gods? The Philistines. And as a result, is compromised in a bed with the Philistines because the woman he likes, the look literally vexed or pressured him in chapter 14, verse 17, to give away the secret of his riddle. Skipping forward, after cycles of retaliation, in chapter 16, 1 to 3, Samson goes to be with a Philistine prostitute. He becomes compromised as his sleeping with a prostitute allows him to be surrounded by the enemy. In verse 2, this is not just disobedience; this is foolish. And finally, he enters into a relationship with Delilah. Delilah is worse than a prostitute. She's an agent of the enemy that eventually brings his downfall. And just as when you're, he won't stop nagging you to get that puppy for Christmas, again we read Delilah pressing him to again give up his secret regarding his Nazarite family. and the God who was his strength. Earlier I raised the question is Samson going to succeed? In keeping his Nazarene vow. And I'm not sure if you noticed it, but as we did that reading today, one by one, he's discarded all of these outward signs of being a Chapter 14, verse 10, we see Samson whining and dying with the Philistines at what is literally a drinking feast. In chapter 14, 18, we see Samson straightening honey from the carcass of a dead lion. And in chapter 16, he allowed us to. See. Samson is like Israel, doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord because it was right in their own eyes. Samson reflects Israel by being impulsive. He reacts to how he feels by what he sees without reflection or consideration on God's word. Which in Exodus 34 prohibited marriages and arrangements with non Israelites because God said it would lead Israel to prostitute themselves with other gods. Why so many women? Because Israel has committed spiritual adultery with one God after another and Samson is unteachable. Not listening to his parents, just like Israel won't listen to their God, taking their privileged status with God for granted. Samson is foolish, and followers describes that the foolish person is someone who is convinced that they are right. 12, verse 15, is hot-headed and reckless, chapter 14, verse 16, and who will not listen to discipline and correction in chapter 15, verse 5. Samson's foolishness led to spiritual Since Samson cannot learn from the past. In chapter 16, verse 4, we're told, Samson loved a woman, and his desire blinded him from the danger that he posed in Samson, we have a mirror also about our own solutions. We can be spiritually blind and yet think what we see quite well. How often are we driven by our desires according to what is right in our own minds, rationalizing decisions that seem right to us? We ask, why did you put yourself in so much debt? Or, why did you throw away everything you had on that affair? It all seems so foolish. A married man becomes interested in a woman at work. Starts in a little ways. He justifies his lunches with her. What harm could it do? After all, she's a colleague. So he ought to have a good relationship with her. But at night, he lies in bed next to his wife a marries that God has richly blessed thinking about the woman at work. His wife becomes concerned. His pastor with him he will not listen because his desire for that woman has been This exact thing actually happened to a Christian who mentored me when I first became a Christian. I went to his house on the day before he remarried his work colleague, pleading with him to repent and believe in the same gospel that he taught me. But he wouldn't listen. He was like Samson. Samson's senses, senses control. It completely lacks self-control. So how does God help us in our battle against these desires? Well, he gives us self-control, which Galatians 5 says is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. See, things like noise that makes it harder to think and to hear. Self-control means simply thinking before acting. So the question is, do you really want self-control? So often we want it, but not at the cost of saying no forever to something we crave. And if you find that your answer is not as clear as you expect, look to Jesus. And in Titus, Paul says, it is the grace of God which teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly life in this present age. God's grace teaches us that God wants better for us. And we know this because Jesus died forgave us. So as we'll C.S. Lewis asks, why playing puddles when God offers you a holiday at the beach? Now, a good indicator of whether or not you want self-control is do you have a clear strategy. One strategy that I often use is called anthem and I just read out like, what it stands for. A, avoid situations where you find yourself vulnerable. N, saying no right away. T, turn towards Christ as a superior satisfaction. H, hold the promise and the pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind until it pushes out the other thoughts and he enjoys these promises. Yeah. Thoughtfulness is wisdom, and wisdom seeks out counsel and submits to it. In Hebrews 13, verse 3, we are told to fight the deceitfulness of sin, by encouraging one another daily. You can know the Bible really well, but actually have a pretty shallow understanding of yourself. So I need you in order to really see myself clearly. We might be blind to our own hearts, but other people can often see the problems very clearly. It's only as one looks intently into the perfect mirror of yourself that one can see themselves as they actually are the scriptures remind us as promised to trust in the law with all our heart and not in our own understanding. Otherwise, I would listen to my own arguments, believe my own lies, and buy into my own delusions. See, my self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror, but I'm going to see myself feeling I need you to hold the mirror of God's Word in front of me. And so, are there people who know your areas of vulnerability, we're willing to say things that are like hard for your good. I put a little accountability list in there. If you're in a relationship like that, then there's a list of questions you can ask yourself. We cannot be content with only having casual relationships among both people. But most importantly, in our know, strategy has to be prayer. I need to wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm a person in desperate need of help. Please send help is my way. And give me the humility to receive the help that you provide And I need to pray for the Lord, make me willing to help someone see themselves as you see them. Samson was foolish. And he teaches us that our foolishness has consequences because Samson is abandoned by the Lord and doesn't know it. He's abandoned by the Lord and doesn't know it. In chapters 13 to 15, we see Samson dependent find sustained by the Spirit of the Lord, but in chapter 16, up until this point, there is no mention of the Spirit of the Lord. Rather, the story ends with Samson acting as if he were self-sufficient. Now, does anyone um, want to know what I looked like with long hair back in the day? One well, no, no, more. No. I think it was better on you, though, but, you um, know, this more difficult. Now I remember why I had my head to Um, up. Delilah presses Samson for the secret. Oh, Samson, you must leave me If you would love me, then you would tell me your secret. And in response to Delilah's pleading, he told her everything that is he did his soul. And his strength comes from God and that if he cuts off his head, his strength will be gone. in verse 20, the tragedy sets in, Samson says, I'll go out before and shake myself free. This has been the story of his life. No one has told him what he could or couldn't do until nowadays. But we're told Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson had revealed to the enemy the secret of Samson's God given strength. His love for a foreign woman was greater than his calling to be dedicated to God. And to be abandoned by God is a worse fate than anyone can experience. Overnight, this man is transformed from what his life is governed by sight and his actions is determined by what is right in his own eyes into a blind man with eyes down out. Overnight, a life of coming and going as he please turns into a life of bondage and imprisonment. For the first time in the book of judges, God's judge has been defeated. And the Israelite Samson is utterly ignorant of her true spiritual condition, blindly assuming that all is well and that the Lord is always at her disposal. According to the covenant curses of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, Samson's faith is precisely the faith the nations should expect if they carry on their affairs with the gods of the other nations. Like Samson, the, the nation will be seized, blinded, exiled, imprisoned, and humiliated with forced labor, as happened when the northern kingdom fell to Israel in the eighth century, BC. Like Israel, Samson is abandoned by the Lord and does Samson had every spiritual advantage and yet he squanders it. His vitality is drained away. way. He's left without strength, without sight, without freedom, without dignity, and without God. And so we're that God's people need another greater deliverer. And in this way, Samson is actually a picture of our Savior Jesus in three ways. Firstly, Samson is spirit and how he able to kill a lion and kill a thousand men with the jawbone of, of a donkey. It's not his natural spring, but repeatedly, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. the same way, Jesus' miracles, his death, his resurrection are all attributed to the empowering work of the Spirit. The second way Samson is a picture of our Savior Jesus is how Samson is humiliated. In verse 5 of chapter 16, we read, The lords of the Philistines wanted to bind him to humble him. And that's exactly what they do. After Samson hair his the Philistines scoop out his eyes. Bring him to the Gaza prison and making him grind grain, which is the work of slaves. Overnight, a man with the highest conceivable calling is cast down to the lowest position in those In verse 23, Samson is brought out to the Philistine house as entertainment. The person whose life is being spent humiliating others has become the object of humiliation. This prefigures the humiliation of Jesus. Both were handed over to the Gentile oppressors by a close for money. Both were tortured and chained and put on public display and mocked. Both were asked to perform and both died with arms outstretched. Samson was humiliated. And the third way Samson is a picture of our Savior Jesus is the fact that he is unexpectedly victorious. In chapter 13 verse 5, the angel had announced to Samson's mother that he would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. While Samson was experiencing such humiliation, something almost imperceptible had begun to happen. A ray of brilliant hope. In verse 22, we have the pregnant words, but the hair on his head began to grow again. The God of the Bible is a God of grace who is faithful even to those who are unfaithful to him. God never breaks his word, and God has said that Samson would be a Nazarite. To the day of his death, was after 30, 30, 30. and Samson isn't dead yet. God isn't done yet. After all, the true contest isn't between Samson and the Philistines; it's between the Lord and Dagon, the false god of the Philistines. Who should Israel serve? And up until this point, it's as though Dagon has won. So the rulers of the Philistines assembled in the temple of Dagon to celebrate and praise Dagon. Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Verse 23. Samson's shame has become the Lord's shame. God's failed rescue I've to entertain them. But Samson isn't finished yet. He asks in verse 26, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. On the roof, held up by these pillars are great crowds, including the laws of the Philistines, verse 27 says on the roof itself are like 3,000 more of him. And so the thing is said, and for only the second recorded time in the life of Samson he promised. Always before he would assume that he would be strong and he used his strength to save himself. Now in verse 20 to 21, he's been humble to realize he's fully dependent upon God for his grace. For the first time blind and weak he simply asks, oh Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me through this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines and my two lives. God answers the cry of his servant and destroys the Philistines. The sight of his celebration becomes the sight of defeat for their God David. The false God is shown to be nothing, and the Lord is vindicated before his enemies. Rejected, beaten, chained, all alone, and finally died, dying, finally. Samson's humiliation becomes the means of his victory, which is what we see in Jesus. God answers the cry of his servant Jesus in the most desperate of circumstances. But Jesus' cry not for vengeance against his enemies, but for their forgiveness. It was not the Romans who Jesus crushed, but ultimately Satan who was disabled. Just as Samson identified with his enemies in his death, let me die with the Philistines. Jesus identifies with us in His death. He did this to take away the guilt of our sin once for all before a holy fire. And like Samson who bear against all Israel, Jesus' victory is complete. Through Jesus' death, God brought victory and new life. And there's of course one last crucial difference between Samson and Jesus. With Samson's burial, his war was over. Verse thirty-one. But with Jesus' burial, in many ways, the story has only just begun. Because he rules beyond the grave. The one who became weak to save will rule with strength eternally. Through Samson's death, God brought victory. As we've seen, both Samson squanders his privileges. What we actually read in Hebrews 11, we're surprised to find out his name is mentioned amongst the heroes of the faith. How? Because Samson learned something. Just like um, like Samson in the Avengers movie Ragnarok the mighty, seemingly unstoppable Thor is humbled. His hammer he presumed that he presumes is the source of his strength is taken away, his hair is cut, and he's forced to become an entertainment society. And near the end of that movie, he loses an eye. The irony is only been in he finally see. His dead dad makes fun of him in his week state. who oh, are you, the God of heaven? No, Thor is the God of thunder. He's still incredibly powerful. And Samson too learns that his power wasn't in his hand, it was in God. Samson isn't the hero of this story, God is. In the darkness of God, the is, and the mocking tears of his captors, Samson is finally humble enough to ask for God's help one more time. He becomes strong again and tears down a temple to begin God's victory. For this reason, Samson is leading the as an example of those who true faith were made strong. Out of weakness. Samson, with all his flaws and sin and weakness, lives by faith. And this, I think, gives us comfort in our own faith. Because God uses imperfect, sinful, flawed people. Not ever, not even our own sin will be able to stop him from saving us and using us. And so when we feel our own powerlessness in the face of temptation and cry to Jesus, right there, a friend who knows exactly what such weakness feels like and it can offer us strength. The strength the Spirit gives, the strength which enables us to avoid the pitfalls of Samson's life, pride, lust, anger, vengefulness, foolishness, and impulsiveness. The strength to become more like Jesus and less like the world we're taught to share the gospel to. Let me close with a story. There was once a girl in her backyard and she yelled out for her dad to come quickly and the dad looked over to see that she had a foot on the head of a snake, but she didn't have the strength to hold it very long. Her dad looked over, put his foot on hers, and the snake was killed. In the same way, put your faith in God's strength and trust in the Lord's Jesus. We will feel weak and battered and bruised by the devil's words, by he can making us strong so let's ask for our strength in our weakness. Right. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though we are simple and weak and often foolish, you are a God of grace, and so we ask that you would give us your strength that you might open the, our blindness and help us to see your truth and also lie in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.